Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of the Backyard Banter Podcast. My name is Matt Harmon, and I'm joined with uh, joined by a great guest today. Uh, it's John Moore, formerly of Rotoviz uh, and Rotoviz Radio, and now currently uh, the social media editor with Pro Football Focus. John, is that right? Is that your new title? That is correct. That is my new title. Well, I was very happy to have uh, you on today, John, especially because I know you've, um, you're undergoing kind of a big transition right now in the industry, but I kind of want to spin back before we get to all that. Um, and I really want to start kind of at the beginnings of your journey. So I always start the podcast by asking the guests, you know, how did you come to get the bug for football or for fantasy sports? Take us through kind of like the early stages of that. Sure. I think the bug for football probably came from my dad. Um, so my parents were divorced and I moved to Ohio, I think when I was six and lived with my mom and sister. And I would go uh, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas and New Year's back to New Jersey and hang out with my dad. And uh, one of the few things that he passed along to me was uh, was his love for sports betting. And so we would, uh, you know, that first, first wild card weekend playoff game, we do like box pools and spreads and we'd pick against each other. And that was really like the thing that we bonded over growing up as weird as that sounds uh, from a distance. It would be, you know, what game are you watching? You know, you want the the Panthers plus seven or do you want the, you know, the Giants minus seven or whatever it was. And so uh, early on that, that became kind of a, a bonding point for me and my father um, sort of concurrent to that move to Ohio was this whole thing where on the first day of school, you have, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite sports team? And for me, my answer for favorite sports team was the New York Yankees. And everyone in Columbus, Ohio, you know, going down the line was Ohio State Buckeyes, Ohio State Buckeyes, Ohio State Buckeyes. And of course, I jump in say the New York Yankees. Everyone like slow motion whip, like, you know, kind of turns and looks at me like, you're not a Buckeyes fan. And I was like, No, what? What is that? Like, we like, we have the NFL. Is that the same thing? And, um, I was basically like accosted by people uh, suggesting I become a Buckeyes fan. And I was like, you guys are insane. I like whoever you don't like. Um, And so that made me a University of Michigan Wolverines fan. And uh, it was just sort of like a a trolling thing in a way. But uh, something I got very into early on, especially with that 97 Charles Woodson uh, Heisman National Championship season. And uh, that was really where my love of football was born. Yeah, it's always fun to kind of play the uh, the contrarian there. Uh, growing up in Washington, I can definitely relate to that. Not wanting to root to, for their football team, I uh, did not want to then like root for Dallas or anything like that. But it was definitely mm-hmm. like I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick whoever uh, I'm gonna pick like not these people's favorite team for sure. Um, so I guess kind of what was your first experience with like fantasy football then from bridging off from that? Oh man, I I feel like it was probably middle school. And I feel like, um, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm 29 now. And that was kind of like late 90s when that was happening. And I feel like that was when the internet was like really starting to take off. And so you'd like log into AOL or whatever and you get that like, and like wait for your, for your page to pop up. And uh, I remember like early goings, it was like Priest Holmes and guys like that, uh, real like running back heavy, which... Uh, it seems kind of like a, a funny, almost full circle strategy to, to fantasy football in 2016, if you want to talk about contrarian plays. But um, yeah, it was just just kind of one of those things that like I had no idea what it was, but um, somebody invited me to play in a league and uh, very quickly became uh, you know affectionate about it. And uh, it was something that caught my interest. But yeah, you know, I think as, as much as anything... Um, uh, the NFL draft was something that really like I became infatuated with early on, perhaps more so than fantasy football. Um, maybe this is, I've never admitted this on a podcast before. Um, I loved the movie Jerry Maguire and I hope I'm not alone here. You know, my word is stronger than Oak, but I, uh, I had this idea when I realized that I was probably going to be pretty scrawny. So my dad was a big guy. He, uh, he played defensive end in college um, I want to say he had a, a tryout with the Browns at some point um, near the back end of his college career, but oh, wow. I, I was not that. Uh, when I got my license, I was like five, six, 150 pounds. So I was like a, a scrawny dude. Um, but I just, so when I realized that I wasn't going to be able to be an NFL football player, which was something that I had aspired to when I was younger and Boston, everyone in backyard football, 
um, I was like, you know, maybe I could be a sports agent. Um, and so actually later on, when I got to high school, I graduated from high school early and spent my second semester of my senior year interning with a sports agent. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of like something that that bit me early on, uh, even more so than the fantasy side of things. Yeah, that's that's kind of like I don't know. You can agree or disagree with this, but uh, especially now that you don't work for Rotoviz anymore, like which is a specifically fantasy site. Like I kind of feel like I don't know if I love fantasy football as much as some of the other people in our industry, and especially people that have been on this podcast. But I definitely I feel like it's almost more of just like a means to an end to talk about football uh, just because it's a more popular business right now than just straight up football writers. Are do you kind of feel me on what I'm saying there or am I completely off base? No, you're very on base. Um, I think that for me, I've always loved dynasty because like I have a finance degree. And so I think about uh, fantasy football, dynasty, fantasy football, especially and hat tip to Ryan Royard with this one. But a fantasy team in a dynasty context is essentially a portfolio of assets. And your goal is to acquire underappreciated assets and hopefully sell them when the market uh, you know, reaches a frenzy for that particular asset. And so um, I, I, do, I do very much feel your point here in that uh, fantasy is something that I enjoy. Um, but that said, I would probably categorize myself as a little bit more of a draft person than I would a fantasy football player. Yeah, that makes, I won't go into detail on my own side of that. Cause I'm, I guess I'm my episode of this app is coming up soon. Uh, <laughs> I won't be talking to myself. Don't worry, everybody. I'm not that insane, but like, so I won't kind of go into too much detail on that, but I totally agree. Like I see my, I find myself much more inclined to like to root for players and storylines and everything more than like having my fantasy picks be accurate, um, which maybe that's to the chagrin of some of my followers sometimes, but uh, you know, whatever. Um, I think, I don't know. I think that's an interesting kind of uh, kind of point with, with people in the fantasy world. But so John, obviously you mentioned like the, the draft prospects and everything like that. One of the things, you know, you're most known for is some of your work with those prospects, whether it's the phenom index or uh, everything or the, the CFX, the actual project and everything kind of dig into that a little bit. What, what was, what is some of your work that you've done with college prospects? Yeah. So probably the thing that I'm most known for would be incorporating age into prospect analysis. And this came about back probably like, I think it was the 2013 draft. And specifically with Terrence Williams, wide receiver out of Baylor, now with the Cowboys. And we were writing all these articles and talking about things like market share and whatnot. And and at some point, age got thrown into that into a very specific Terrence Williams article. And I thought it was strange that he was 23 in his final college season. Now, personally, this kind of is relevant because I grew up playing junior golf pretty competitively. And I was always very aware of age in that context. So the, the age brackets were 9 to 11, 12 to 14, and then 15 to 18. And I, I noticed that I had more success when I was, say, the 14-year-old in the 12 to 14 group than I was the 15-year-old in the 15 to 18 group. Um, and so being someone who, bringing back to fantasy sports, I really enjoyed fantasy baseball. And every year I would sort of concurrently be doing draft preparation and fantasy baseball preparation. And I noticed that in the baseball world, age was a really big thing. You know, you sort of get that quad A label if you are too old, uh, let's say 25 years old in AAA, you're quad A at that point. Uh, But in football, we didn't really have a term for this. And so, for example, in that 2013 draft, you had a guy like DeAndre Hopkins who was going to be 21 as an NFL rookie. And you had Terrence Williams who was going to be 24 as an NFL rookie, and you're looking at this, and that's essentially a rookie contract. You know, DeAndre Hopkins would be 24 in his final year of his rookie contract, the same age that Terrence Williams was entering the NFL in. And so I, I basically kind of looked around, and Matt, I think that you have uh, probably some parallels to this in your writing career, but you look around and you say, no one else is really doing this thing right now. And with the abundance of writers in the industry, I think the only way to really get noticed is to 
become known for a very specific thing. And so for me, I thought that might be age. And I created this thing called the Phenom Index, which uh, went through a couple of different iterations, but basically was my way of combining final season college production with the player's final season age when they were in college and, and discovered that this was a highly uh, predictive thing as far as statistical models of predicting production over the first, second, third, fourth year of a player's career. And so that was just something that I basically, I remember I made a mental note to myself one day that every article that I wrote from that day forward was going to have prospect age in it. And I think in that was able to, to carve out a little bit of a niche for myself, made some connections. I still remember like it was yesterday, the morning that I woke up and I had a, a direct message on Twitter from Evan Silva. And I was like, what the hell? I have like 400 Twitter followers or, you know, 800. So I don't know, something very, very in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, not that significant. And uh, Evan was like, hey, I saw your, your Phenom thing. Like, you want to write for Roto World? You know, want to do a guest post? And I was like, holy shit, like, what? Uh, and so that was really, I guess, kind of when uh, when things started happening for me. Yeah, I think whenever you get that uh, the message from Evan Silva, that's kind of the the sign that like, oh shit, things might be happening. <laughs> I remember, I remember that too, being like, oh my god, all right, this this is like actually somebody important paying attention to me. That's weird, um, that, but it's cool. To say. It's cool. Sorry, that and the one other thing, um, and maybe some other folks listening, maybe you have this experience too. The day that Sigmund Bloom showed up in my mentions, those were kind of like my one and one A moments of oh, yeah. of Sig heckling me and Evan reaching out to me. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, obviously anybody that's listened to this show so far knows that like Sig is basically like my dad in the in the industry. Like he right? yeah, he's like brought me up and you know, so he he followed me from a really early point. But I can still remember like the first night, you know, he sent me like a barrage of like eight tweets disagreeing with my thoughts on Jordan Matthews. <laughs> and I was like I was like, Oh my god, I'm over like for one, I'm overwhelmed because uh I didn't exp- I'm like dude, I, I like admire the hell out of this guy. Like, how do I debate with him without being like, I don't know. Like I suck at debating anyway. So <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I totally, re- I totally exactly. I know what you, I know what you're saying there. Like that's a, that's another one too. Um, it's important to have those little monuments, but yeah, John's like, you're a great example of, of what we talk about on this show all the time, which is finding like a, a unique niche and kind of just hammering in on that because you know, you're right. Nobody was talking about age. And, and you're right. It's a very intuitive thing that like, yeah, if a guy's 21 and he's playing with a bunch of 23-year-olds and playing on a much higher level or equal to those guys, that's just inherently impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And especially like in, in again, bringing back to fantasy baseball, like it's sort of known in fantasy baseball, or at least in my experience, that like age 27 is like the physical prime for an athlete. And so I'm thinking to myself, if if a guy could hypothetically have, what, seven NFL seasons under his belt by the time he hits his 28th birthday, that that seems significant as opposed to a guy having four like like Terrence Williams might. And and sort of this uh, this trajectory of potentially being like an all time great of getting into the league early and, and staying healthy and accumulating these stats and particularly for a dynasty player, that's that's the kind of thing that you want. I mean, it, it doesn't happen a ton, but you know, you, you look at guys um, like like Amari Cooper or, or DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, those guys have legitimate potential to have eight plus top twenty four wide receiver seasons in their careers, which is just insane. And it's like if you hit on those kinds of players. Uh, and then just cycle through running backs as opportunity becomes available. That's a, a pretty viable strategy, I think. Right. Just the longevity of it alone of like, I'm going to get this guy for, you know, two or three years longer than I would a player who's coming in older than him or, you know, whether it's from a, whether it's from a fantasy perspective, like a dynasty league or just a real NFL 
team. It makes a lot of sense contract wise. Um, obviously, we're talking about some of the you know the benefits and the positive uh, feedback to your work or, and all that. But what are some of the negative kind of pushbacks you got to it? Because like anytime you come out with a new project, everybody has a thought or opinion. What's some of the like kind of maybe some disagreement you've gotten from people in the industry or people just not buying into it for whatever reason? One of the biggest pushbacks that I get is, well, the average NFL career is three or four years anyway, so who cares if they're 24 to 27 during their career or 21 to 25 during their career? What's the big difference? And it's really not about that. I think that's kind of missing the mark because the important thing is looking at them as college prospects and really understanding what you're seeing. So, for example, um, like – let me think about this. The season that DeAndre Hopkins is going to right now, DeAndre Hopkins 2016 season is going to be played at the same age as Terrence Williams final college season. Imagine dropping DeAndre Hopkins into a Baylor offense right now. Jesus. <laughs> like that is ridiculous, right? right. Um, and, and so it's, it's kind of that notion of, of not, not career arc or longevity, but just, what you're actually seeing. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Like I am a big Tyler Boyd fan. And like, I think about in two years from now, put that Tyler Boyd in the TCU 2015 offense with Travon Boykin. And like, how does that compare to what Josh Doxson is? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's a, it's a tough, tough thing to extrapolate, but that's essentially what I'm trying to do with this sort of age adjusted approach. So Big pushback is just like ah, career longevity doesn't really matter three or four years and then they're done. That's a big pushback. And then uh, rightfully so, uh, the first iteration that hit on Roto World was uh, the math was was not as clear as it could have been, um, and therefore I, I got some pushback from some math people and I got some pushback from some football people. Um, but it helped refine the process. And that's one thing that I try to do is not take any of that personally, but just view it as um, like sort of the universe is going to correct course for you. Uh, it's, it's like the old Rashid Wallace thing, like ball don't lie. Like Twitter don't lie. If you put something out there that's really good and really rock solid, like people will, will get on board with it. But if you put something out there that's uh, that's a wiffle ball and has holes in it, um, like people are going to jump on you. And thankfully people have, have kind of come around on things and I've, I've tried to uh, re-articulate things. One of the articles that I wrote that was literally written specifically for Sigmund Bloom was at Rotoviz and was called, uh, I don't hate old wide receivers starring Keyshawn Johnson. And it, it was really probably the most clear thinking that I ever had on the concept of age and, and production coming together. Um, but yeah, I uh, I hope that kind of covers a little bit on on some of the pushback. I think one of the one of the funnier things um, that uh, funny and miserable at the same time, if you Google something, uh, Rotoviz 2015 uh, Phenom Index, uh, it was for Amari Cooper's class, and there was this guy that literally probably wrote a dozen comments in that article and then like i would jump in or fantasy douche would jump in or sean siegel would jump in and this guy would just kept kept spitting stuff back uh it's it's comical and infuriating at the same time but um he's probably my single biggest detractor on the internet it's, uh comedy mixed with uh frustration is certainly sounds like a, a comment section that that's for <laughs> sure <laughs> um yeah i try not to anytime i see that there's like a like a, a large amount of comments on my NFL.com articles. I'm like, I'm not going near that place. I try not to just, I try not to read commentary anyways. Cause you know, people will like personally insult me, <laughs> which, is, right. which is, which is whatever. But uh, that's just a fun anecdote. But th that point about like the math, you know, being off on your first post or whatever, and just hearing feedback from people. I think that's really key for anyone that's looking to kind of break the mold on a new concept is like, you know, and I'm not saying this is what you did, but on, on my side, like I kind of rushed things out with reception perception. And that was a big reason why that first like or the second article ever was on Cordero Patterson. And it looks like such a whiff in hindsight, like 
the numbers were actually completely telling on the player, but the fact that I was rushing it out there with such a small sample size, right. and I didn't really have context to the data. It makes it, you know, it makes the prediction. Well, the prediction was wrong, and it makes it makes like the series look bad. But in in reality, the series is fine, and I'm just like as an interpreter looks. I'm the one that should look stupid, and uh, the, so I think that's that's a key thing for anybody kind of breaking the the ground on there. So, John, I'm gonna ask you a question, kind of like selfishly, because it's something that I've always been curious with the age thing, and it's something I like. I would probably like draw a little bit of a line in the sand at like if a player is younger than another player, um, does that automatically is that automatically like a positive indicator in their favor over the older player, um, or is there more to it than that? And does like and does the, the fact that they're younger, like automat to you, does that like automatically kind of make them more likely to improve in the next couple of years? And I'll give you kind of a specific example. Like I think Devin Funches versus Kelvin Benjamin is like a really good, um, like a really good realization, like reality of this, this very debate. Like I'm talking about like Funches is an incredibly young player for, for a rookie coming in. Benjamin was a really old player coming in. So now you get people like already saying that, well, Devin Funches is going to be better or is better than Kelvin Benjamin. So, you know, it would just kind of riff on that subject for me. Cause I just really rambled and did really ask a question. It's not that younger players are better or that older players are worse. It's that, the expectation for them should be different. And so, for example, I mentioned that Keyshawn Johnson post earlier, and Keyshawn Johnson was 23 in his final college season. Um, but he was so good that it, it he was age-appropriately good in his age 23 season, if that makes sense. Um, by By a different measure, look at someone like, say, Mike Evans, Mike Evans played his final college season at age 20, and his numbers were very different than Keyshawn Johnson's, but still age-appropriately good. And so being younger isn't necessarily a good thing. Being older isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's it's more a matter of what you do at those ages that does matter. Right. So it's just kind of a, a way to further contextualize things. And I guess when I always hear things about age, yeah, like age – mixing it in the draft process i i see it kind of like as something that add, does add that layer of context and also provides like a range of outcomes for the player too i think that's like a way i like to think of it um but, but anyways kind of we'll move on from that subject but i think it's an important one for listeners to this podcast like it's a really good piece of unique content that you had out there and like was you know it's, it's definitely a niche that people associate you with but so john kind of the, the early days of rotoviz and you just recently did a pod like your final podcast on rotoviz radio which you know side note i'm really going to miss you on i've listened for for like pretty much since the podcast started it was one of my favorite listens um in, but your your last episode was really good. It was just you and Friedman talking back and forth about kind of the early days of Rotoviz. Like, and it was a really really good listen. I, if you're listening to this podcast, definitely check that out as well. Um, what? How did you first get caught on with Rotoviz and just writing on the internet in general? Oh man, so I'm I'm a big reader, and at the at the time I was uh, reading this book, super douchey name, but really a fantastic book called The Way of the Superior Man. And in the book, that is a very douchey name, <laughs> right? Right, so douchey, but but it's good. Um, and it's it's uh, it's pretty out there. But there are some things that I latched onto, and one of those things was if you can't live your passion full time, live it part time. And the reason that this stuck with me, and and in the book, it sort of goes on to say if you can do something you love, if if football is what you love, but your job is in finance or as a teacher or whatever it might be. And 30 minutes a day, you can, you know, get on draft breakdown or you can crunch numbers on a spreadsheet or whatever it is. You can exercise that passion 30 minutes a day. Do that until 30 minutes becomes an hour, until an hour becomes four, until four becomes eight. What? Just live your passion. And so for me, I was like, ever since I was a little kid, like I wanted to do this football stuff. Let me start a blog. Like I, I don't even really know what that means, but let me just start a blog. And so got on WordPress. I picked this name, the college football experiment. And was like, I'm just going to write stuff. And that led to me 
thinking, huh, who else is out there writing about this kinds of stuff? And it was in those early days, sort of me looking at things as a percentage of offense. So what percentage of a team's receiving yards does a receiver have? Or what percentage of a team's offensive yards does a running back have, you know, out of the backfield and as a runner? Um, And I was looking for other people doing this. And that led me to uh, a guy by the name of R.C. Fisher and specifically Sean Siegel. And Sean, as some of you may know, uh, has won some really high end. I want to say he won the the primetime fantasy football championship a few years ago. Um, he's a writer for Pro Football Focus and Rotoviz. And at the time, Sean had this site called Money in the Banana Stand, which I still to this day do not understand that reference at all. Um, but I connected with him and just started emailing him. And he was like, hey, man, I, I like some of the stuff you're writing. Do you want to write something on my site? And at this point, I'm maybe three months into the process. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy wants me to do a guest post? Hell, yeah, of course I'll do this guest post. And so I made the connection with Sean, wrote this, uh, wrote this piece basically comparing uh, 2013 draft class receivers to historical receivers. And from there kept plugging away with my own blog. And then come January, I was out at a sushi place with some friends and I had been reading some of this work by this guy named Fantasy Douche. And I got a, a similar to the Evan Silva moment, I got a, a DM from Fantasy Douche. And I was like, all right, dinner friends, I need to go outside right now and tend to this. Like, this seems important. And so that led me to um, writing for Rotoviz. I was the first person besides Fantasy Douche to post there. Um, and he basically was just like, hey, I'm doing this new project. It's called Rotoviz. He had all these apps where I could, instead of just looking at market share numbers in my spreadsheets, I could look at them in bar charts and, and like see how players were progressing through their careers. And I just thought that that was like the coolest thing ever. So um, not only that, he was going to you know give me uh, a percentage of the money that we earned through any subscriptions. And so I still remember the day, I want to say that it was like February 20th, 2013, I got a subscription to an article that I wrote about Stephen Hill. And I was like, holy crap, like I just became a paid football writer. And I had a Facebook post about it and you know, texted my friends and my family. And that was sort of the, the way that it came to be. It was just me doing a stupid little blog. Um, a couple people taking notice, me reaching out to people and um, just trying to seize the opportunities as they came my way. Yeah, it's so important to to revel in those early moments too, whether it's like the the first like big DM conversation you have with somebody that you respect and follow and like it's an, a big opportunity just to make that connection. And also that first paycheck. I remember when I got my first football guys paycheck, I was like, I unwrapped it with my mom and like, like hugged. <laughs> it's right. like, you know, it's just, a, it's a cool moment. It's important to revel in that sort of stuff. Um, so kind of, I mean, what, what was it like, like hooking up with a bunch of guys and eventually as the road of his community grew and grew and grew, and there's so many talented people still writing there now, what's it like that? What's the feeling when you're just hooked up with a group of people like that, that think like you do about the game and kind of, especially the Rotoviz crowd, like you guys are obviously known for a different approach to the game than most people. Uh, and you kind of, you know, have to prove yourself a little bit. Yeah. I think in the early days, my favorite thing about it were the email threads where basically one of us would write an article, we would get this backlash to it. And then we would have these email threads about like why we were right and everyone else was stupid. (laughs) And um, like it it very much felt like an us against the world kind of thing, which I personally really enjoy. I love being the underdog. I love rooting for the underdog. And I I think in those um, sort of early days of the site back in 2013, like it was just a lot of fun to uh, basically approach things like, why couldn't this be right? Uh, you know, why couldn't age actually be a really important thing? Why couldn't, you know, this this thing or that thing, why couldn't zero running backs be the most dominant strategy that you could have? Or um, why couldn't, uh, 
market share of rush yards be a really important indicator and all these kinds of things. Um, and we basically would, would partially debate, we'd partially explain. Um, and it was just, uh, I don't know, kind of a fun time to be a part of something where everyone was, was very hungry. Everyone had a lot of good ideas and it, like this word is so overused, but like it felt entrepreneurial in a way of like having something that was really ours and like we didn't we were kind of the misfits um but together we all fit in and in that it felt very special i guess yeah no doubt those are those are always fun just uh just that growing as a community together not just individually um so john as you're kind of moving through your your career and everything right your journey as a writer <laughs> did you ever think like did, did, what was your, what were your goals? Were your goals to be like a full time writer, or was it just to be like somebody that does this on the side? It was really known for something else. I think I think if I'm being like totally open here, I low key had this goal of somehow getting into a front office. Um, I have no idea how that would have ever happened or how it will ever happen. Uh, but I just I it's something that interests me and uh, I think I have a, a, a unique perspective on things as far as the writing portion of it. I, I had no idea that it would ever really lead anywhere. Um, it was just something that I would open one of the various spreadsheets that I had and I would click around in some things and I would notice, huh, this, this, this thing about Jordan Matthews, this is kind of weird. Or uh, last year, like, huh, this Tyler Lockett, like there's some things about him that are pretty unique. Uh, or even this year, guys like uh, Rashad Green or Bruce Ellington. And I'm like, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if in 2016 they, they mattered in some capacity. Uh, it, it, it's just fun to find those anomalies and look for patterns and then essentially use writing as a platform for for processing my own thoughts about things and then saying, hey guys, like I think I might be onto something here. You want to check this out? Uh, that was really all it all it ever was for me. Um, I, I don't think I ever necessarily had any ambitions to um, do a lot in the writing world, if you will. I, I think um, within the broader football context, like I, I have or had – I'm not sure which which tense that should be in uh, aspirations of being involved with a team somehow, but I don't know where that fits in. Right. Yeah. That that makes sense. Uh, one thing I think that uh, it, that I've always really enjoyed about your work and and just having you as a person in the community is like that kind of what you're hinting at there about like especially the the special teams value to wide receivers and Ellington being one of those guys this year, especially in one that I'm, I'm on, I'm on that train with you as well. Uh, perhaps arriving at it from a arriving at the conclusion from a different method, but you know, nevertheless, my, my point is like you, you're somebody that asks questions and approaches it from a unique, a unique Avenue. Again, hitting that on that point of unique uh, content and standing out. What do you think is something in the industry right now? Like a question that, maybe nobody's asking, but somebody should, and, and maybe a listener to this podcast or, or somebody else out there needs to be the one to answer. What do you think is a, is a question out there worth, worth asking and, and therefore answering? Whew. I mean, I think, I think quarterbacks, just anything related to quarterbacks is still largely a mystery to me. Um, uh, hmm. You know, I, I think that, as time has gone on, I think there have been things that sort of explain the historic misses. So, for example, to look at someone like Hakeem Nix or Calvin Johnson or Demarius Thomas, uh, you could look at those guys and say, like, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty evident that they were going to be good. Whereas guys like, say, Percy Harvin or Randall Cobb uh, or Wes Welker or Antonio Brown. I think that there have been things that have come up since then that have been able to explain like, okay, yeah, this makes a lot more sense now. Uh, to me, quarterbacks are still just like a massive 
a massive mystery. And I don't know if ultimately there is just something completely unquantifiable about the quarterback position, whether that's intellect, work, uh, work ethic, whatever, any of those sort of, uh, you know, subjective things that you want to throw out there. But, you know, why is Johnny Manziel out of the league and, you know, Blake Bortles is a, is a top fantasy option or, you know, why, why did Derek Carr become, you know, a pretty, a pretty good NFL quarterback? Uh, I don't know. Uh, the quarterback position just largely confounds me if, if I'm being honest. That, that's the one thing that really kind of comes to mind. I think I agree with you on that. And the thing that's always fascinated to me is that like, I don't like, obviously I just do a lot of charting with wide receivers. I don't have like any sort of special gift as an evaluator. I think I just happen to watch more of them than any, probably anybody. Yeah. Like just, you just, you just look, see what, like you just observe what happens and you mark it down. Like, did the guy get open? Did he not? And just, you know, building that over a long sample size. But I don't think you can do the same thing with quarterbacks. And there's a lot of people out there that do charting work with quarterbacks. And like, and, and it's not to say that they're doing bad work or anything like that, but I just feel like it's different for that position for, for pretty much any other. And like you said, something unquantifiable about it. So I would love to see somebody come out with a quarterback project. But I have like no, I just have no idea how to approach it. I, I would say. Yeah, um, well, and I, and I think even with that, like there are people, and there are, if I'm not mistaken, sites that are devoted to charting quarterbacks. And I don't know if, I think, I think the thing that I struggle with, with any kind of charting project, and just being candid, like I, I think even sometimes with reception perception is how do you cover enough ground to know Mm. and for example like somebody could chart 30 quarterbacks who are you know current seniors in college or you know draft eligible for 2017 but what does any of that look like compared to Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and Tom Brady from the late 90s or what does it look like next to Jamarcus Russell or you know name your name your thing they're just more so than anything i think that that um one there's something unquantifiable but two uh and i i applaud you i have so much respect for the time and diligence that you put into your process um because i i i know that it is no small task to chart as many games as you do um but the payoff is so far down the line as far as establishing a big enough sample size, especially uh, with quarterbacks and going oh, yeah. back um, because that position, unlike wide receivers, for example, which is sort of a space that we both occupy, uh, the shelf life for successful quarterbacks is is really pretty long, whereas with receivers, there's more churn. So, uh, I mean, like specifically the guys I mentioned a second ago, Breeze, Manning, uh, Brady, I'm trying to think, even like Rivers, Eli, Roethlisberger, like those guys were all a, a decade plus back to go back and, and, and chart them and find the resources that you need to get it. It's just uh, it's a very tall task. Oh, it, it really is. And I always say, like, I wish that I didn't have to, you know, like have a real job. I mean, I, well, I don't really have a real job, but, you know, like <laughs> I, I play I play make believe all day for for my job now. But like, I wish I didn't have to do that even. And I could just chart receivers and I would probably drive myself insane. But like just to collect the sort of sample size, I would really need to say something meaningful. Um, and I, I mean, I feel like I'm doing something meaningful, but at the same time, like, just to like go back through history and chart guys like, you know, Jerry Rice, like what would his success rate versus coverage be like, you know, and to collect that sort of thing. Um, And that's why I've always said, like, I don't really view myself as doing anything groundbreaking. I'm just like keeping an accurate log of, of what I observe. Um, And, you know, but I agree, like it's, it's a really tough thing to do whenever you're charting anything. Like I said, you can come out really early and jump the gun on something and, and make a stupid proclamation based on data you don't really understand. And I've certainly done that. And it, that's a chore for anybody charting games. Um, but hey, real quick, but I, it, what you're doing is important, though. And I hope that you know that. Like, well, I, like being 
like logging what is actually happening in the world is tremendously undervalued. And whether that's in sports, whether that's in politics, music, whatever, uh, there's a guy that I really like named Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's kind of a, a social media guru, if you will. And he talks about, like, are you building an audience like the year that it actually is? And that seems like a little bit of a silly thing to say, but he talks about, for example, like, if you are a business right now and you are just getting into Snapchat, like, you're three years late. Yeah, like you're not marketing like the year that it really is, because the year that it really is for Snapchat was 2013, and you missed that. And so, I think the fact that you are taking the painstaking effort to detail what is happening on every play with all these players that you are like, there's a lot to that, Matt. And um, like, I, I say this very, very sincerely, and haven't had the opportunity to do this publicly or even privately yet. Um, when I come up with something, waiting through my numbers, whatever it is, my check is you. Like, 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 I I'm really high on Bruce Ellington. The day that you published your Bruce Ellington piece, though, was the day that I actually traded for him in Dynasty. <laughs> like, not before that, but like when when you posted that piece, and it it I swear to God, like it's on Twitter. Um, the, yeah, the, the day that I traded him, I, I posted about it. Uh, so yeah, it, what you're doing is important. And please, uh, please realize that from someone who is very metrically inclined, the effort that you take to quantify the subjective is very, very much appreciated. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you uh, you saying that, and uh, you know, it's it's definitely something that I view you know, as important. Uh, and I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it wasn't necessary. And well, your point about like charting what's happening in life, that's exactly, I mean, that's how I basically got to doing this is because that like, that's what I was doing as a, as a college student, what I intended to go back and get a PhD for. And now I'm doing this instead, which isn't so bad. Um, and like just doing th- like just approaching things from like a social science perspective and like, just, okay, this is all super subjective stuff, but if you just log it, and eventually like things even out. And the one thing I would say, and I, I, you know, that I'm not trying to talk about reception perception here, but one thing I like about it is that like the numbers have stayed pretty consistent as far as like league averages so far throughout the three years that I've done it. So I like that too. Uh, that makes me feel a little bit better, but I appreciate you saying that. Uh, it's good. It's good to know that um, it's weird. I, I'm not very good at taking compliments, even though I'm a super vain person, but I, I appreciate <laughs> you at least at least I appreciate you at least thinking that it's useful. And I, I'm glad that a lot of other people seem to as well. Um, so, John, I guess I want to kind of like hit on as we're winding down here, like what you're going to be doing now at Pro Football Focus as a social media editor. It's a pretty big uh, difference between being a writer and a podcaster, I would say. Uh, for But before I get into that, like, so how did you end up with this gig? Yeah, so long story, I guess. Uh, through the road of his podcast, I got to interview Mike Clay who is now with ESPN, who was with Pro Football Focus as their fantasy director for a number of years. And uh, a little over a year ago, in, in the winter of 2015, Mike uh, reached out to me and said, hey, PFF has this feed-through relationship with ESPN Insider, and I'm wondering if you would like to write something about the NFL Combine. And I was like, well, of course. And at that point, I didn't I, I didn't write for PFF or anything like that. So Mike essentially, you know, kind of sought me out and I was very flattered by that. And he connected me with this guy, the, uh, an editor over at ESPN Insider named Jeff Dooley. And uh, so I wrote those couple pieces. Mike said, hey, you know, that was, that was good work. Would you like to write for PFF? And I said, hey, sorry, <laughs> I'm going on this trip. I'm going to disappear all summer. Can't really count on me, but I'll get in touch when I get back. And uh, when I got back, I did some more work for PFF and uh, basically had a relationship with Jeff Ratcliffe and Jeff Dooley, who at that time had transitioned from ESPN to being the editor-in-chief at PFF. And so uh, when I was trying to uh, communicate with them about a potential full-time writing position earlier in 2016, it looked like that was not going to happen. And 
just sort of on a whim, I got an email that said, Hey, we're, we're doing this social media thing. Like you, you've got a pretty decent account. Would you have any interest in that? And sort of the backstory here is that I had in a previous job, I was working for a university and I had taken graduate certificate coursework in interactive media. So web analytics, social media marketing, digital branding, so on and so forth. And all of that was to further my writing at the time, but with a thought in the back of my mind that maybe this could in and of itself become a career opportunity. So maybe I run social media for some clothing company or whatever, you know, totally unrelated to sports. And so I applied and uh, came down and interviewed a couple times and, uh, you know, sort of one thing led to another. And I think sort of my experience practically building my own following and academically having taken the classroom work uh, sort of made me a, a good fit. And I'm, I'm in their target market and I understand, you know, the, the fantasy community and, and sort of the online football community. And yeah, it, uh, it, it came together, um, came together perfectly, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and that's just speaking to building relationships and, and everything and making those connections and like never like kind of mentally closing a door, like whatever Avenue it takes to get your, get your goal as a full-time person like that, uh, that be willing to take any Avenue I would say is, is a takeaway from that. Um, so going forward, what will you actually be doing at PFF as a, the social media editor and also how do you think your space in the community, uh, you know, on Twitter and fantasy world and, and the NFL draft uh, section, how do you think that will change? Well, I'll be, I'll be writing a lot less content. I'll be, you know, both, I won't be producing podcasts anymore. I've passed off those duties at Rotoviz. Um, I won't have any podcast duties as far as I'm aware at PFF. And even, I, I'm not sure I'll really have any writing kinds of duties there either. Um, mix that with, some non-compete kinds of things. And um, really the, the whole of my attention is going to be on social. And so what that means is uh, my job very basically, you know, what I've been doing the last couple of weeks is just trying to get in with their two Facebook accounts, three Twitter accounts, Instagram, and try to optimize the posts, um, sort of make them as, native to the different platforms as possible. Uh, once I kind of get that systemized, um, doing things like training the staff on how to be better members of their social networks, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, what have you, how to use those platforms as good as they can. Um, and then even moving beyond that, trying to be strategic with reaching out to what you might call influencers, um, connecting with them, you know, making sure that they know what PFF is all about, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, if they have questions about how our data comes to be, uh, things like that. So <clears throat> um, case in point, someone who uh, used to be on ESPN is with a different network now. Uh, they showed up as a new follower for the main PFF account. I get a little notification about that. I follow them back, say, hey, you know, just want to let you know I'm here if you ever need anything. And they said, yeah, actually, do you have any, uh, do you guys have statistics specific to this college conference? I was like, yeah, absolutely. We can help you. Let me know. Yada, yada, yada. So basically building um, strategic partnerships and ultimately trying to just build build a community around the PFF brand. I think if if we're all being transparent here, um, and and I'm included in this, I think when the company, uh, I don't know, a year, eighteen months ago, back in 2015, um, decided to take away the premium stats, that that hurt a lot of people, uh, you know, fractured a lot of relationships, and so for me, my 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 number one priority, if I were to summarize all this up, is to be a good member of the football community on behalf of Pro Football Focus and, uh, you know, try to help them accomplish their business goals. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and the power of social media and, and just social in general is like the sexiest 
buzzword and concept around uh, around any major media corporation right now. Um, oh, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, just just even like uh, just I, I find the human element of of social media to be really really cool. So I'll just tell you a story, and this is what I absolutely love about my job. Uh, I, I queued up a tweet about Jason Witten and how he did not drop any passes during the 2015 season of his catchable targets. And in response to this tweet, Everson Griffin, the defensive end from the Minnesota Vikings, responded at PFF, at Jason Witten, with just respect. Hmm. And I was like, man, how cool is that, that like, that my job is to send out tweets like that, that like facilitate conversations between players and players, players and fans, you know, franchises and like whatever it is. Um, So that was really kind of the like, wow, like this is, this is really my job sort of moment. No, that is, that is a good story. And and it's a good concept too, because I think so many people can get caught up in like emphasizing the negative parts of social media. Um, Just like people can get caught up in emphasizing the negative parts of life. But uh, I kind of see the two as, as being the same way. Like, I, I'm the type of person that wants to emphasize the good things that happen in our world and the good things that ha- happen in, in my life. And I can certainly attest to the power of not only humanity, but also of social media. Like, shit, none of this would ever be happening if it wasn't for social media, like in terms of my life and your life and in all of our uh, existence in this in this space. Like, none of this would be possible without Twitter specifically or any sort of social media. So it is a very powerful tool. And, and I certainly like, I think you're going to, you're, you're going to do a lot of really cool stuff with that position. So John, final two questions here before we get out. Um, the one that I've, you know, pretty frequently asked just about every guest, what's something that you see in the community, in the space, uh, in the industry that you, that you just don't really like, or don't care for? I mean, uh, the haters is the obvious answer. Um, yeah. Well, and here's the thing, and this is something that I'm trying to do with the accounts that I'm running now for PFF, is I'll I'll post something and someone will jump in and paraphrasing say, Ha, look at look at these idiots over here. Who pays attention to them anyway? And I'll reply back and say, Okay, well, you know, I, it seems like we disagree. What are your thoughts on the matter? And people almost never answer that tweet back. Yeah. You know, the, the anonymity of it makes it very easy to hate without repercussions. But I think when you try to just say, all right, we disagree and that's fine. And just because we our ideas uh, are different doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means we have different ideas. And so I, I think um, if there were sort of like one thing I could do wave my magic wand and and have be different, I think it would just be more constructive conversations rather than just bashing or putting down other people's work because it takes anyone out there who, who has a blog or a podcast or whatever, and you have 30 people that come to your site a week or you have 25 followers on Twitter or whatever, like kudos to you. Seriously, because it takes so much courage to just put your thoughts out in a public forum and expose yourself to criticism. There is there is so much bravery that exists in that space of typing something and then pressing publish or pressing tweet um, that uh, should be commended if, if you are, in fact, a, a content creator trying to put your thoughts out there. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, just anytime you put your opinion out there, you you open it to to backlash. But I agree. Like, it would be great if you know, even some of us as writers sometimes just responded better. I think that it would. You know, I always say like you're a reflection of your mentions, and if you're constantly fostering negativity, I think that might like there might be a common denominator in that, hmm. um, and it might not necessarily just be your bad takes. Um, so that's something to always keep in mind when you're operating a, a social media account or just or just existing in, in the world in general. Um, so John final question here, and this is actually, it's not really a question, but, uh, you know, I always give the guest one last chance at the floor before we get out of here. So you have the time now to say anything, uh, you want before we go, the floor is yours before I yank it out from under you. Okay. 
Well, I think the one thing that I would really hope everyone uh, everyone realize is that we are we're in an age right now where sure there are organizations and there are gatekeepers, but by and large, there is nothing stopping you from essentially putting yourself on. You have all the tools you need to connect with people, to build an audience, to bond over shared interests. And I think if there were one thing that, I mean, even like I'm a relatively young guy, but if there were something that like I knew at age 15 or age 18 instead of age you know, 25, um, it would just be that like I am the determiner of what I want in life. And if that's travel, if that's football, if that's whatever, um, now is just such an unbelievable time if you're willing to hustle to get out there and connect with people. I mean, one of the things that I always did, for example, if I had an article about Jordan Matthews going up, I would tweet that article and then I would go to the Twitter search and type in Jordan Matthews and go through and favorite 50 tweets about Jordan Matthews, hoping that someone would come to my bio and read my article. And that's like, we have unlimited access to to fans, to people with common interests, that if you really want to build a community, if you really want to put yourself on, that you, uh, this is me, I have no permission to do this. This is me giving you permission, like, to just pursue whatever interests you and uh, and just realize that the ball really is in your court and that there aren't gatekeepers, that it's so democratized now that anyone who wants to make something happen for themselves can do it. And I think uh, if, I mean, in the very, very tiny corner of the universe that I exist, like, I think that I am somewhat a story of that. Matt, I think that you are definitely a story of that. And uh, I would just uh, empower and encourage other people to realize that they are in that same position of uh, limitless possibilities. I got to say, John, that is one of the, the best the best damn uh, closers we've had here on the Backyard Banter podcast in all 41 <laughs> episodes. So I, I God, I totally like echo that statement and just what it like what it means and what it represents on multiple levels. Like we really are in a very powerful place in, in the human existence right now and everything. And and also just like that that idea of like people shit all over millennials or people under 30 or whatever. But I mm-hmm. think that like the fact that our generation does know that, like that's something I would say, that's something you would say and plenty of other people our age would say that that's what it's the, what, what I, I like about our generation. But anyways, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. So John, I really want to thank you for your time today. This is, um, this has been awesome good conversation and uh i think the audience has learned a lot from you i've learned a lot and uh just a really good perspective and you know also if you if you're listening to this podcast like i said definitely check out the last road of his radio episode that john was on and listen to some more context about that also we didn't get to talk about it on this podcast but he did another episode with ethan harriman on the hammer time podcast about your trip around the world (laughs) that's a hell of a listen definitely go i i listened to that one on my road trip across the country and that was that was a really good episode. Um, actually, it was the final podcast before I pulled back in LA that I listened to. So um, that's a really good one. Definitely recommend that. But John, thanks a lot for coming on today and wish you the best of luck in your uh, in your new job. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Matt. And if, if there's one last, sorry, I know that you just gave me the floor, but there's one last thing I want to throw out there that, that sort of remains unresolved. And I'm going to make a call to action of the listeners here. Now, Matt, we, we, we uh, sent some tweets back and forth couple months ago about a a sort of gentleman's wager with regards to some players in this draft and how they might perform over their first couple years. Um, But we never, we never settled on terms of like what, what the, what the winner gets or what the loser has to do. Um, If I'm not mistaken, uh, I think I had Farrow Cooper and Tyler Boyd Mm -hmm. to your Michael Thomas and Sterling Sterling Shepard. That's such a slam dunk for me, but anyways, by the way, <laughs> sorry, but now you're after right. the draft. Like I'm totally yeah. throwing myself under the bus by bringing this up right now. But I was gonna let it. I was gonna let it go and never let you like never never have you bring it up again. But sure, if you want to throw yourself under the bus, go for it. Yeah, this is me throwing myself under the bus, like Keanu Reeves speed style. Um, that tweet us, Matt Harmon and I at the CFX for me, John Moore. Uh, tweet us what you think the stakes 
of this friendly wager should be because we've not settled on them, but we do have sort of the terms loose, loosely drawn up. Right. I think it's like in the next three years or something. Um, I am open to, to head shaving. Um, even if I'm, you know, hopefully fingers crossed by then, uh, not bald, um, one, <laughs> which is in the, which is in the cards, by the way. Um, I'm all, and I might even, you know, hopefully another fingers crossed, like maybe more of a public media figure shaving my head would be hilarious. But anyways, that's a whole other topic. But yeah, totally. I'm open to that. Yeah. Tweet at us and, and dictate what the term should be. I, I like that's a good ender, John. Um, and I'm definitely open to this, this bet. Um, or wager, excuse me. I'm an NFL employee. I don't bet on things. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> thank you again, John, for coming on today. Thanks, and man. to the listener, yeah, to the listeners, again, it's always awesome that you guys tune in to hear these stories. I'm really enjoying them. And this is the this is going to be the third to last episode of season one. Uh, we'll have John's episode. We'll have one more, and then the final one will be the one that everybody keeps asking for about me. Um, if I could stomach talking about myself for that long, probably can I may, again, mention the vanity, but you know, it's, it's, it means a lot that you guys keep tuning in to listen to these, even as the NFL season is approaching. Um, like I said, three, you know, two more episodes after this one stick through and, uh, and it's been a hell of a journey and, and thanks again for tuning into this episode. And I hope you learned something today. <laughs>